0: Yo mi gente? Welcome to Hello Latino. It's your girl Dali's Jasmine and today's guest is honestly one of the dopest entrepreneurs out there. Ivan Estrada is an award-winning entrepreneur named one of Newsweek's best realtors and has made guest appearances on NBC's Open House, HGTV's House Hunters and Bravo's Million Dollar Listing. In this episode, you'll hear more about Ivan's book, Brand with Purpose, which serves as a guide on how your own experiences, challenges, and obstacles hold the key to creating a timeless brand. And Ivan will walk us through his journey of growing up Latinx, queer, and working class to becoming a highly ranked real estate broker. Hope y'all enjoy this conversation on personal growth and self-discovery. I'm so happy you're here. I cannot wait to dive into who you are, your story, your Latinidad, just all the amazingness that Ivan is.
1: Awesome. No, I'm (laughs) excited to be here. Thank you. No, thanks for having me. Let's let's have a party. Let's have a good time.
0: Let's have a party. I love your energy. We are going to start with the first question, and that is how do you identify and why?
1: I would identify as a, Mexican-American. So both of my parents are from Mexico. From My dad's from Guadalajara. My mom is from Los Reyes, Michoacán. Um, I was born here in Los Angeles, but I am a proud Mexico-Americano and I guess Latinx community. So I guess that's that's what I would define myself.
0: Love it. And let's dive deeper. So I want to paint the picture of who you are for our audience that are listening in, but really just paint the picture of who you are, from little Ivan running around LA to where you are now. So paint the picture for us. What did it look like to grow up in Ivan's world as a kid?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So my mom and dad, uh, they met here in Los Angeles in their 20s. And uh, I grew up in Igrok. Um, I have a little sister, Vianette. We're three years apart. My dad was a house painter. He painted houses. And my mom used to sell clothing from Los Callejones in downtown. So she would go out every Saturday, get clothing, and she would sell it from the trunk of her car to her friends and friend, people that she knew, and also from the house. I mean, my mom was a hustler, like, right? she she was a businesswoman. And so, you know, <laughs> growing up, you know, we, we always, I never felt like we were poor. You know, we were definitely, I would say, lower middle class. You know, every Sundays we'd go to church. We go to McDonald's after, or we go have tacos. You know, we, uh, my mom always made sure that we had, you know, I, as a kid, you know, we had cute clothes, even though my mom always wore the same pair of shoes, the same dress, just to make sure that my sister and I had like cute tennis shoes for school. So we, so we felt like we were never missing out because the school that we did go to, you know, primarily white, you know, a lot of the kids and their parents had, had money right? And so they had the nice cars. I would see the BMWs and the Mercedes. And, you know, my dad had the white pickup truck, you know, in cab, <laughs> And my right. And my mom had a, she had a uh, Jeep Cherokee. And so, you know, it wasn't until I think I was in my teenage years when I realized like, oh damn, like, you know, my parents, you know, they work their asses off, but they're not like the other parents in my school. Cause I would go and hang out with my friends and, they had the big two-story houses and the Mercedes and BMWs in the driveway and and all of that. And my mom and dad used to always tell us because they were so good in making sure that we always did good in class. Always. Mm-hmm. Like that we were good in our math classes, in our English classes. Like at home, our summers were like this. We would wake up, my <laughs> mom would be like, Okay, tu vas a ir a limpiar allá afuera en la de atrás. Like we all had our jobs. So my sister had her job she had the front yard i had the backyard and then we would go to swimming lessons we go to piano lessons we go to the library read a book a small book and write her a book report and so that was (laughs) like our upbringing right like like study 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 all the time um you know work hard and i used to like honestly like i used to look back and think like damn like why is my mom so hard on us like why are you, why can't she be more like my other aunts or my other friends' moms? And you know, because of her, like I got into USC, you know, into the accounting school and the business school. My sister got into LMU into their business school. You know, my my mom she would always tell us like my dream is to see my kids go to college because I she barely graduated high school. You know, she was the mm-hmm. eldest of 14. So she was the mom to 13 other kids, right? And yeah. so, you know, even though she didn't have a really, I would say, college education, like she was such a good mom and she taught me so much. Um, like a lot of the stuff, and we'll talk about it later that's in the book. I learned from my mom as a kid. You know, you can you learn all this stuff in business school. And when you're older, but then when I really thought about it, I was like, oh my God, these are things that my mom taught me as a kid, that my dad mm-hmm. taught me as a kid, right? And so, you know, after college, I went to USC, um, oh, and I forgot a piece of my life.
0: So I got a record <laughs>
1: contract <laughs> and, and, piece. And, <laughs> and piece. So I got a record contract when when I was in my um twelve years old, and I used to perform. I used to be on Cuanto Cuestal show all the time on and wow. uh, on TV <laughs> And then I was on a show called uh, Gigantes del Mañana on Univision. And so I was in the music world. I was a singer. I almost
0: thought you Gigante and I was about to lose it.
1: Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, the solo Gigante, man. It was like, I love that part of my life. Like that's where I really learned how to work my ass off. You know, because mm. as a kid, it was how like, old are you? I was 12, 12, 13, okay. 14, 15. I was, had a record contract. I went to school at night. I would go to the recording studio. I would have dance lessons, I would have PR lessons, I would have marketing lessons, I would go back to the recording studio, like write music, and then go back to wow. school during the morning to, you know, submit my math work. And so that was, <laughs> you know, I know. So I did that, college, and then um, I ended up uh, getting a great job at a big lo- uh, accounting firm and got my CPA, which, in all honesty, like I was the only Latino. At my company mm-hmm. with a CPA. And then in the accounting school at USC, there was four of us. Four Latinos oh, wow. out of like hundreds of, of you know, it, it was very diverse, but there was only four Latinos. But, um, you know, it did four did, years. How ago.
0: did that feel for you? I, I just want to dissect it a little bit. Did you, know you, I, did you notice it? Did you feel different? Oh, yeah, like, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And look, and I'm going to be honest and candid. You know, as a kid, um, I was told in school, don't tell people you're Mexican. You don't really look Mexican. And so in order to be successful, just tell people you're Italian, just tell people you're Portuguese, because if you tell people you're Mexican, no one will take you seriously. And for the longest time out of protection, that's what I did. Like at, when I went to USC, you know, they, they're a great school and they do fight for diversity and they're, they're really, they're getting much better at it. But you know, in reality, in accounting school and in Marshall school of business, it was me and maybe some other guy or me in a class full of, you know, other races. And, you know, at a time I felt like, damn, I just want to fit in. Right. Like, I'm just going to try to fit in. There was um there was a Latino organization at school. And I just remember saying, should I join or should I not? No, no, I'm not going to join it because I don't want to call attention to myself because I just want to I just want to be like everyone else. I just want to be like everyone else. And that was mm-hmm. like now that I think of it, because now it's like, I couldn't be more proud of being Mexican and being Latino. Like I could not be more proud. Like part of the book and why I wrote it like with so much passion is to show others that Latinos can do big things, you know, but Mm -hmm. at a young age, you know, when you're young and somebody tells you that you're like, shit, then they're right. You know, then maybe I should tell people I'm Italian. Maybe I should tell people I'm Portuguese. And, you know, I would remember saying, well, what are you? Well, I'm like, spanish and portuguese and and even though it's true because of my family like my parents are from mexico like they're mexican i'm mexican right but out of mm. protection i i just i would tell people yeah i'm portuguese and spanish and italian wow you know and when
0: was the moment for you where you started to say i'm latino i'm mexican
1: you know um not to plug this organization but it's called landmark mm. and landmark changed my life this is not an ad Yeah, not an ad for landmark, but I do have to say whatever they're doing over there works because I was in my 30, like 30, I'm 37 now. And I had a realization of like, oh my God, like, why have I been holding this burden on my shoulders? Like the, the, the instructor said, yeah, you're Latino. And look at all the things that you've done. Ivan, you're an example. You're an inspiration. Why are you, why do you think it's a hindrance? Right? Why do you think it's holding you back? And I'm like, I don't know, like, why do I think that? And I remember I went to Mexico City that year and I was so inspired by those are my people, like, that's my culture, my food, like, my music. And I came back a whole different person, a whole different person, where now I was like, yeah, I'm Mexican, you know? When people would say like, oh, you don't really look Mexican. Like, before I wouldn't say anything, I'd be like, oh, good. Now when people say that, I'm like, so what does a Mexican look like to you? you know now i get a little bit more like you just okay let me let me let me educate you like what does a mexican look like please tell me like what the media shows you like short dark like is that what you because i don't look like that is that why you know you you over you think that that's what that is you overgeneralize. but you know i feel now where it's like i love telling people oh really great i'd love to take you to mexico let's go to mexico let's go to guadalajara let me take you to mexico city Like, let's go, let me show you what my people look like. Because our people, Mm -hmm. we are like, literally like the rainbow. We come in every day, different shades and sizes and colors and origins. And we're just like a melting pot of love and culture. So let me show you what that looks like, you know? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, now that, you know, I I work, I've been working here in Beverly Hills. I've, I've been in real estate for 12 years. I've also like now written my book Brand with Purpose and I have this whole, you know, public speaking like side of me now with my courses. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 opened up a whole world for me to to realize that like I feel like I look at Tony Robbins and Oprah and Jay Shetty, like all these inspirational speakers and I'm like I want to do that. I want to be the Latino representation up there showing people, not just Latinos, but everyone that that we can do it, right? We can mm-hmm. write books, we can get CPAs, we can work in Beverly Hills, we can make do really <laughs> well, and we can educate and inspire everybody, right? And be a good example.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, I wanna dissect real estate to writing your book, to your whole career. And I wanna first backtrack a little bit. And I think sometimes like, what I love about your story and what you just mentioned was you went back to Mexico City, right? And you started to just see the beauty that you've always probably known and experienced at home. But you were seeing it in a different light where it's surrounded by you, you know, and you're looking around. And you're like, these are my people. This is my culture. This is my food. Like, Mi cultura, you know, right. And I want to go back to your parents. What was their immigration story? What did that look like? Do you know your parents' immigration story? Is there anything you can walk us through?
1: Absolutely. So my mom, thankful, so my grandfather, he owned a lot of farms in, in, uh, in Michoacan. The queso, y meat, and fruit, <laughs> and vegetables. And so he sold a lot of that to the United States. So he was very lucky enough to almost all 13 of my 14 uncles and aunts were residents of California because of his business, right? But my dad, mm-hmm. hey, it was the the story he went over the wall he swam through the river and he came on the other side and he started working with one of my uncles um who also did the exact same thing like my dad he was the little kid that you would see washing the windshields in the cars like every time we'd go to mm-hmm. mexico and while i and visit my grandparents my dad would be like i used to do that as a kid i used to wash people's windshields i would wait at the stop And wash their windshields, you know. And my dad has always Mm -hmm. been such a hard worker. Like, I love that man so much because a lot of my like hard work and like persistence, because I'm not smart. I always tell people I'm not that smart. I'm just very persistent comes from my dad. And, you know, once he immigrated here, he just worked his butt off. You know, he didn't have his papers. I would say he didn't turn into a citizen until I was probably six or seven years old. And then my mom did the same thing as well. But, um, you know, he worked his way up painting houses, whatever he did, like mechanic jobs, painting houses, electrical, whatever it was, my dad always was working his butt off. And, and mm-hmm. honestly, like my friends always say, you know, whenever I see like people that are Mexican, they're always working their butt off. Like you'll never see us on a corner asking for money, like never, like hell no. You'll see us like selling flowers or oranges, whatever it is, but we work our butts off.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think you just mentioned how creative and resourceful we are. And I i am always just like in awe of my dad as well. And I was I was just smiling when you were talking about your dad, because same thing for me. Like my dad, he probably like won't know how to fix a car, but he will like do his best to like learn on the spot and oh, yeah. fix your car for you.
1: Always. And always. that
0: to me is like, man, the immigrant community inspires me. Latinos inspire me because naturally. We don't have a lot of access to resources. So what do our parents do? They learn and they do it themselves.
1: Exactly. Yeah, (laughs) there's no money to go and pay other people. You just got to figure it out yourself.
0: You got to figure it out. And then my dad's like, man, if I had YouTube when I was younger, I would like not pay anyone to do anything for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: With YouTube now, that's like, it's easy. It's gotten easier.
0: It's gotten so much easier, but I love that you pointed out like how creative resourceful your your parents have been and your and the generations. Right. It's not just your parents, but it's like your grandpa, like my grandpa, so- my
1: uncles, my aunts, yeah. like they always they always figured it out. They always figured always. it out. You know, they never kind of gave up. And, you know, they never I remember with my family, we never got assistance from the government. Like they were like, no, we're not going to do it. We're not going to get assistance. Not that there's nothing wrong with it. But for my parents, my uncle's like, no, no, no. We're not going to get assistance. We're going to work our butt off. We will figure it out, right? We're going to we're gonna find a way.
0: Mm, I love that. And I just feel like, again, it's it's the resourcefulness. It's figuring it out. And that's the one thing I love about being Latina, about just the Latin community is like, we will always figure it out. Like always. <laughs> no matter how long. Like it's not a matter of if, it's like when but we'll exactly. figure it out oh my goodness and I want to transition so you talked about your parents you talked about growing up in in the way you grew up whether it was like in your household studying all the time because educación is todo like my family always says too but also kind of like what you did right you went to college you did all these things but I want to know the transition between High school, studying these summers, doing all the things that you were doing. Your mom, shout out to her for keeping you on track. Yeah, on track. And what was the moment where you transitioned to college, and what was the moment you decided real estate was for you?
1: So the transition from high school to college was a hard one for me because after at high school, I had a record contract. The record was supposed to come out. We're about to shoot a music video. Like they had said, this is it. You're like the next Martin. For us, by the way huh oh i'll sing a little bit oh for sure (laughs) i'll sing a little mariachi song which is some of my mom's favorite yes and uh so i didn't apply to any colleges and then my record contract fell apart it ended and i was stuck so i ended up going to pasadena city college first to get all my general eds out of the way and then transferred into usc but my first year at usc or first six months I remember sitting in class and taking all the tests and thinking, I don't belong here. Like, I'm not smart enough. Like I was getting all my tests. Usually I would get like A's, A minuses, B pluses and all my work. I was getting all my tests back, C minus, C, C, C plus. I was like, what, like, how is this happening? And I remember it was like halfway through the year and I was walking to my car, and I was crying, literally crying, because I had just gotten a test back, and I'm thinking I'm gonna get a C. Like I'm gonna get a C mm-hmm. in this class. It's never happened to me in my life. And I remember I called my mom, and I told her, Mom, I don't belong here. Uh, I don't. I don't think I want to finish. Like I think I'm. I, I. This place is not for me. And my mom's like, she's like, ¿Qué? She's like, No, 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 no. She's like, No, me digas eso. She's like, Tú, tú lo puedes hacer. Like, my parents have always said, ¿Tú lo puedes hacer? She's like, ¿Qué quieres que yo haga por ti? Like, what can I do for you? I was like, Mom, I'm like way behind. Like, all these kids went to prep schools and like Ivy League, like not Ivy League schools, but like prep schools, and they were had tutors. She's like, I'll get you a tutor. I'm like, Mom, you can't afford a tutor. She's like, no me importa. I don't care. I will get you a tutor. Where do I get you a tutor? And I remember from that moment, I found tutors that helped me for four or five months. And then I was able to then get the B pluses and the A minuses. Like I went through so much. It was so hard to get back to where I felt like I needed to go. And if it wasn't my mom telling me, she's like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, you got, this. You, got this. you got this, you got this, you're not leaving anywhere. And, um, you know, thankfully I graduated with like a 3.6 GPA from USC's Marshall School of Business, which was great, but it took me, it took me a while. And, you know, I did the accounting thing because I felt that that was the right thing for me to do. My dad wanted to be an accountant, never got the opportunity to do it because he had to take care of my sister and me and my mom. And so I did it for him. And, um, three, four years into it, I just said, I'm dying of depression. Like this job is going to kill me because this is not me. Like I'm sitting behind a desk not talking to anyone. I'm a very social person. You're talking to a kid who was a performer singing on stages on Saulo Gigante and now he's shuffling pieces of paper.
0: I was just thinking oh. that. I was just oh, thinking I was that. I'm like inside. how did you go from record to like accounting? Oh, no.
1: <laughs> I I I did it because I felt like that's what I was supposed to do, right? That's what was mm-hmm. expected of me, especially after going to USC. It's like, well, you you go to accounting school and then now you get a CPA, which I did. And and that was hard. But I just felt like that's what that's life. You just get that mm-hmm. and then you work your way up and that was it. But I remember telling my mom and my dad, I said, you know, mom, every Sunday after we leave church and we go have dinner, I go into this deep depression and dark space. And I've never felt this way before. And I don't know what to do about it. And my dad goes, you know, you're very young, Ivan. Do what makes you happy. What do you want to do? And I said, well, music makes me happy. He's like, well, if you want to go do music again, then we'll go support you. But at the same time, I was like, well, I don't know. And, and I don't know if I should do that. And one of my friends said, you know, he literally called me that night and said, oh, have you watched this new show called Million Dollar Listing? I was like, no, no. He's like, oh, my God, you should watch it. It Reminds me of you. You would be so good at real estate. And I was like, no, no, that's not me. That's totally not me. And Mm -hmm. I remember watching the show. And it's funny because Josh Flagg, who's a good friend of mine, who's literally his office is just across the way. He's on Million Dollar Listing. I remember watching the show and being like, wait, I like this. Like, Mm -hmm. I like the fact that they're selling. Like, They were being themselves. They were creative. They were like, you know, they were able to kind of like, because with real estate, you could do, in real estate, you could do anything, right? You can market your way, any way, you can brand yourself any way, you can do whatever makes you happy. Because there's people that I brand themselves in a way using, you know, they're very sexy and sensual and they get a lot of business. That's not how (laughs) I do it. But, um, (laughs) you know, it seemed like an opportunity for me to combine everything that I was good at. Like, I love talking to people. I love houses. I love the opportunity where there's no ceiling, where you can literally make as much money and impact as much as you possibly can. And I read one book at the library that changed my life, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And then after that, I read like 24, 25, I forgot how many of they were exactly, real estate books. And I fell in love. And I was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. this is my thing. This is what I need to be doing. And that was almost 13 years ago. And I still, like, I. this has been the best year of my career. Like, I'm I'm breaking every Mm -hmm. record. Like, every year I'm doubling my sales, which is incredible. And, you know, to be a Latino and to probably be in the top three of California for a luxury company, like, that's freaking crazy. Yeah, yeah, the money's great. Not gonna lie, the money's great, (sighs) great. But it's more of like, you can do it. Right. It doesn't matter where you came from. I used to think, well, I grew up in Igorok, you know, I didn't grow up in Beverly Hills. I didn't grow up in the country clubs. You know, I didn't have all the connections. And I've made the connections. You know, it took me mm-hmm. a lot of time and hard work and effort. But most importantly, it was up here. I had to tell myself, you can do it. Like I had to get away all those mental barriers that I had attached to myself that it wasn't possible. That was the hardest part.
0: Mm, it's like all mentality.
1: Yeah. Um. The, yeah. It's all your mental state. Like, it's once you conquer your brain. Like, honestly, once you can hardwire your brain, like you can do do anything.
0: Honestly, that is so true, and I echo yeah. that. And I want to highlight it for everyone listening. Yeah. yeah. And I'm. I think you said something that I want to uh, touch a little bit more on because I think one of the things about growing up Latino, not growing up with all these like privileges, right? you don't have a lot of access to resources and that means connections as well. And how was it for you to walk into a space with all these people you were never surrounded by? How did you start making those connections? Was it part of like conquering your brain or how did you kind of step out of that comfort zone or step into your confidence?
1: You know what? It was, I think I've been very lucky in life where I've always had people walk into my life who have been good mentors, Mm. um, who it wasn't, I wasn't even looking for them, but they just appeared in my life. I mean, there's like Fran Hughes, who was one of my managers, Rick Durgan, Aaron Keith, people walked into my life. Um, Stephen Kotler, who's our man, a CEO, walked into my life and said, you know, you have so much potential. I see something in you that I know that you don't see in yourself yet. So let me help you. Let me help you mold. Let me get you there because I feel that none of us could do anything on our own, right? I think all of us as humans, we work together as teams, right? And so I had to uh, partner up with a good mentor, a good coach who could remind me that it was possible. Like for me, that was my mother until I was in my mid-20s, you know? Mm -hmm. Like telling me she was my mentor, my coach who kept me accountable who always inspired me to keep going no matter how many times I fell, no matter how many times I felt I couldn't do it. My mom's like, nope, you could do it. Step <laughs> back in there, and do it. You know, so yeah. I think having someone there, you know, and sometimes it it, it might not be your family, you know, because I have friends who, their families have not been very supportive. You know, it might be a friend or someone that you meet at school that it's your accountability partner. Like for me, I always went with a buddy. Like when I went into a room where I felt uncomfortable, I was like, okay, I'm taking my buddy. There's two of us, you know, strength in numbers, and we would go together and we would go and talk to someone, right? There's two of us against one and it felt more comfortable. And so I think the more I did it, right, like anything else, repetition, I started feeling more comfortable and more comfortable in my Mm. skin and more comfortable on how I felt in the room, you know, and after a while, it's just, instinctually, it just kind of then you become that person. And now it's like, I love walking into a room by myself with people that I don't know. I just could go talk my ear out, you know, anyone's ear off, but it took time, you know, Uh, having a nice buddy as an accountability partner is huge.
0: And I am curious because I'm connecting the dots in my brain, but what are parts of your parents or your childhood or even your, your parents' story or being Mexicano, being Latino what parts of your identity as a mexicano latino do you pull into your work in real estate and what you've been doing now like what are some of the things that you pull from in terms of is it resourcefulness is it working hard you know you talked about your dad being super persistent like what are some of the things that i just want to highlight for everyone right there's we might not have all the connections but our parents give us something that is so valuable
1: oh absolutely <laughs> Like, most importantly, I think my values, right? My values, Mm -hmm. my principles, my work ethic. Because both my parents, like, till two years ago, my dad is like 65, 66. My dad had two jobs, always two jobs. He worked a morning job and an afternoon job. And my mom worked 24-7. We helped her every Saturday in the Callejones as well. Me and my sister would help her like carry the clothes and we called it, called it El Carrito. And, you know, the work ethic that we got from my mom and dad was incredible. Like, and just knowing you like your values, right? Because I think as we get older and especially like in the sales business, you know, I could have gone a lot farther sooner right? Mm, But I would have compromised who I am as a person and I would have done things that I wouldn't have liked, you know? And I think that just doing the right thing is important. The work ethic is important. You know, knowing that my, like, I love my mom and dad. I talk to them every night and, you know, knowing that they're still there as a support system. Like for me, like, I don't need help financially. Like I can help them financially. They don't need my mm-hmm. help either. But it's like it's knowing that you have that support system to like someone to talk to and for encouragement. Because, you know, sometimes I have so much going on. Like the first person I call is my mom and I'm like, mom, I'm worried about this, I'm about that, blah, blah, blah. And she's the first one to be like, nope, get out of that head space. You got this. You're you're Ivan Estrada. Remember, you're Ivan Estrada. <laughs> you got this.
0: Oh my, well, I need to have your mom on here. She sounds amazing. Oh, she's freaking amazing. <laughs> she sounds amazing. And I I kind of want to talk about, I want to go back. I know we're kind of going in different places, but I was thinking about your your record deal. How did that change the course of your life? I know you didn't end up doing, you know, record deals and start, you know, performing or whatnot, but you you talked about it at the beginning, it taught you how to work hard, like work yeah. your ass off, right? But what? How did it change the course of your life? What did that opportunity? What did it show you about the world? Yourself? What did you learn from it?
1: I think, for sure, like so before that, like being in front of an audience with I would, uh, that was the worst thing for me on the planet. Like I didn't want to be in front really? of anybody. Oh yeah, as a kid, I was very <laughs> vergonzoso all the time. I was super shy, and I remember being on these shows. Like I loved to sing. But right before I would go up on stage, I always felt like I was going to throw up. Sometimes I did throw up. Yeah. And um, after, you know, performing so many years in front of so many people and on TV, I got really comfortable. And so like, because of that, like I now can get up on a stage and teach people and inspire people because of the experience (laughs) that I got of being in front of people. Like there I was, you know, creating a person's like, or changing their emotion by using my voice, like in music. But yeah. now I get to use my voice with words, right? With the power of words, I honestly feel that with the with the amount of insecurities that I had in my life, all the baggage that I felt as I had as a kid, I think I tell people if I would have gone famous, I think I would have been that like nasty famous person who probably would have been a dick addicted to drugs and alcohol because like now really? I don't drink. I am sober. I don't drink. I don't do anything. Um, I did have a period in my life where I was drinking a lot. And I think that had to do a lot with my childhood and my shame that I had like the baggage that I had carried on for such a long time and resentments and guilt. And and I tell people like if I would have gone famous, I would have become this nasty celebrity who Could have probably been dead by now from because of an overdose. And so I'm glad it didn't happen. I'm glad it led me into a different direction. But the experience that I got from being able to be in front of people Mm -hmm. and and being comfortable on a stage is what's helping me now pushing my mission on inspiring other Latinos.
0: Yeah. I do you mind sharing a little bit about where that shame, where that baggage came from? Because I think. It's, it can be valuable for us Latinos who struggle with that baggage and shame in different ways, because I think, I don't know if you had this experience, but I think sometimes Latinos aren't always welcome to be vulnerable. Right. Um, I think Latino men. (laughs) Especially, especially, yeah. Um, vulnerability is not something that we have in our communities. Oh yeah, no. Where where did that shame and baggage really come from?
1: Well, the shame, one of the shames was the shame of being Mexican. Like I carry that for a long time because of Mm. how it was pick how it was painted and portrayed in my head was being Mexican equals bad and not successful. So you gotta change that. And then also the gay shame. You know, I was as a kid, I was told, don't ever come out of the closet because if you do. No one will ever take you seriously. No one will respect you, and you'll never know what true love is. And you'll lose anyone who's ever meant anything to your, in your life. And so, those things, like I was like, "Oh, I don't, I, I don't want to be that." And I'm not Mexican, and I'm not gay. And I, and I fought myself for many, many years trying to fix those things, right? And so, now I'm very proud because that's who I am. But for the longest time, like if someone didn't know, like, oh, you're gay. and Oh, good. Oh, good. He didn't know. Like, it means I'm, I'm acting well. Cause I felt like most of my life in my twenties, I was an actor. I was
0: mm. playing
1: some other person. Like I was being inauthentic, you yeah. know? So, and that comes with a lot of things, right? Like even the shame for me of, like I said, I don't drink anymore, but I had the shame of, of drinking, you know, cause I drank so much, but I think I drank so much because of those, of, of those, that baggage and that shame that I was carrying for so long, it got so heavy that the only time I felt like I can release and, and breathe was when I had a cocktail, two or three or four. Then I could like wow. relax, you know.
0: Wow. Yeah. And you know, this reminds me a lot of people in our community. You know, people who, again, I mentioned earlier, vulnerability isn't always welcomed or talked about in our cultures unfortunately. And I think that's what leads to so much machismo or leads to addiction and our like drinking problems. Like those things are real things that happen because we're all human. We all feel. And I think culturally, men especially, and I always empathize with Latino men. <laughs> I think they're seen as you need to be a man, right? You oh, need to yeah. be like, oh, yeah. oh, bro, like, you can't show feelings and oh. you can't be gay.
1: Yeah, oh absolutely not. And that's um, the thing, you like know? you can't you can't talk about any of these, like and I love my parents, but sometimes they're like, oh, you can't don't tell people that, or don't tell people why not? Like there's mm-hmm. nothing to be ashamed of. That's who I am. And but you know, it's like, oh, well, I you I don't want people talking and I don't want people saying things behind your back. I'm like, well, that's their problem. That's not my problem. Like, I'm happy. That's if they feel like they need to talk, that's that's more of like You know, they're deflecting on me what they feel insecure about themselves. So that has nothing to do with me.
0: And you know, what's so crazy. You just mentioned this and you kind of blew my mind because what happens a lot, I think, in our in our families is they're great. Not that our parents ever mean to be rude to us, to not support us. But I think there's this like worry about the reputation. What are people going to say? What What are are they going to think? And you talked about growing up in church. I grew up in church. And that was even bigger, right? You can't oh, tell yeah. church what's going on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, no, no, no. Vamos a hablar.
1: You throw everything under the rug, right? Like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. Don't tell your uncle that. Don't tell you this. No, no, no. No, no hablen de eso. Blah, blah, blah. Just it didn't mm-hmm. happen. It didn't happen. Like, there's no, like, conversations about, okay, this happened. Now what? Like, what did we learn? What can we do? Like oh, no, what? No, no. What could we have done differently? <laughs> but before you just don't talk about it. Like there's there's no reason to talk about it.
0: Oh my gosh! And when was the moment for you when you started to? Well, I have a two part question. When was the moment for you when you started to own that you're both Mexican and you this is because they're both crucial parts of your identity. Being yeah. gay and being Mexicano, like they're all they're both crucial parts of your identity. When did you start to own it and embrace it and tell people about it? But my second question is, how was it like? growing up in church and feeling this oh, you know,
1: yeah. The guilt yeah no for <laughs> so for your first question like again not to to pitch landmark but those the, the those two courses that i took the first course made me call my parents and say hey i just want to apologize because i know i was a huge disappointment when i came out to you as gay and i'm sorry because i i had that guilt and this was like many many years after i came out to them i was my like 29, 30, 20, yeah, twenty nine thirty. You and were about then 20
0: my, when you came out to them?
1: I was, uh, 18.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. How did and they my, take that? Sorry, oh, I don't mean to, to Yeah, no. Yeah, oh no, we, we, we
1: kind of, we kind of went our separate ways for a little bit.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it was
1: tough. It was very, very tough emotionally. But you know, when I told them, I'm so sorry for being such a disappointment and my parents were like, what are you talking about? we love you so much. Like you are the light of our eyes. Like we couldn't be more proud of who you are. After I got acceptance from my mom, where I felt like I wasn't a disappointment, I literally felt huge weight off my shoulders. And from that mm-hmm. moment on, I felt proud because I was like, if mm-hmm. mom and dad are proud of me, then so should everyone else, you know? And yeah. and that was, and going to Mexico city was when I also start feeling proud. Like when my, when I started really seeing like the diversity of our culture and our people and yeah. regarding like being in church like geez it was I, I was an altar server like I was a monaguillo for like 10 years maybe I, I started when I was seven no until I was 16 so almost 10 years and so yeah. oh god forbid you know and mm-hmm. even at church they would say certain things where I was like Ugh. I think I, that's, I think that's that's who I am, but I'm not sure. Like I went through like a whole back and forth in my head of like, no, no, mm-hmm. I'm not. No, I'm not. Cause I have a girlfriend and I like her and I always like girls. I always, I never liked boys until much, much later. So I was like, no, 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 this is just a phase. Every boy goes through it. I'm just not going to talk about it. Not going to talk about it. Like there's, there's no, mm-hmm. it's just going to go on on its own. Like it's going to go away, but it never went away.
0: <laughs> no, it's who you are, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: Oh man, well, thank you for sharing that with us. And I want to transition into our cafecito and cheesement because I think this is a good segue, but I want to know where you are now in life. You know, we talked about these things that you dealt with, the shame, the your story. I want to know how you turned all of that into what you're doing now, into a book, into you know, you're still rocking the real estate game.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and man. how
0: what, what are you up to now? Tell us what's going on in Ivan's current world.
1: Okay, so in my current world, oh my god, there's so much going on. So, real estate obviously cheese, like <laughs> that's my like that's my like everything. I love real estate. Every year it's like adding more people to my team and just getting it bigger and bigger, but I guess the biggest thing that's happening in my life right now is, you know, the release of my book, um Brand with Purpose, which comes out November 16th. That book originally was supposed to be just like a book that was, you know, to add another level to my brand. It was going to be self-published and, you know, God just works in miraculous ways where it's like, you know, with one of the biggest publishers and it's going to be at Target and Walmart and Barnes and Noble and and every Hudson bookstore and every airport in the country. Like, it's a hmm. big freaking deal. Right. Like, to me, it's like, like, let me show you. Yeah. <laughs> And I got to like, I'm holding like my book in my hand. Like this oh my is like God. this is like my book. You know, how do you feel? How
0: do you feel right now holding it? It
1: doesn't, it's not it, it still hasn't hit me. It mm. still hasn't hit me that this is real. Um, that my name's in the front. And every <laughs> page I wrote every single, well, 80% of the words in here, because you always have editors with publishers, but like 80% <laughs> of what's in here, I wrote it. You know, I, I cried a lot writing a lot of this because this was like so much, like it was this was like intense therapy for me. Like I had to mm-hmm. revisit a lot of portions of my life. And, you know, my purpose with this book is to help as many people as possible so that they don't make the mistakes that I made, that they brand themselves authentically and they're able mm-hmm. to get rid of that shame, you know, get rid of all that past that people think, oh, this is not serving me well, so I'm going to lie about it. Where I'm going to not tell people about this portion of my life because I'm too embarrassed. Like I lived with so much embarrassment and shame in, in a huge part of my life. And, you know, my goal with this book, like what we're doing, actually, we have a, a giveaway program for books for kids. So we we actually just bought, I think, 800 books today and we're shipping it to different programs for after school mm-hmm. programs for kids and teenagers in high school and in college. because. I'm like, I wish I had this book when I was growing up. Like, the answers to all my problems were in this book. And so yeah. I want to do that for, you know, not just Latino kids, but anyone who's looking for, like, that mentorship or that advice or, you yeah. know, who who needs that extra push of motivation and inspiration. And so, you know, this book, to me, you know, when I'm long gone, you know, this book will live on. And I hope that it will still be helping kids and people you know, 80, 100 years down the road.
0: You know what I love that you just said is that this is a book that you wish you had as a kid because those are the books we got to write.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Oh
0: my goodness. And I I mean, this is why I started the podcast, right? I wish I had these stories about Latinos, about first generation, this real representation, not just Narcos and whatnot that we see on TV, but real stories about real people living day to day, like yourself. Right. Yeah, and so yeah. I, I applaud you for writing something where it was therapeutic for you and now you're sharing it with the world. Does that How does that feel for you? You're going to be sharing this vulnerability with
1: Oof, hopefully it's, it's,
0: millions of people. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hopefully millions of people. You know, I've once I had to take myself away from the book and be like, OK, now this book, is, it's not about me. Right. It's about mm. what it's going to do. And so that that really has taken off the pressure because, you know, as an author and when you're with the publisher, you know, they're like, okay, we gotta get those bestseller, right? Like that Wall Street Journal bestseller, New York Times bestseller. And that will all be great if it happens. Like the universe is gonna make it happen no matter what, right? Because then it, it'll give this yeah. book legs where it can then do major things. But at the end of the day, I'm like, it's gonna be out there. We're sending it to schools, we're sending it to after school programs all over the country. That was the goal. The goal was to help mm. other people, and that's what we're doing. And this book is no longer my name's on it, but it's not about me, right? It's about what it's going to do for other people.
0: How did it feel like writing the first sentence of this book? Like when you sat down and really just started to ideate or start to write what what came to you? What was what was that like story for you?
1: Well, it it wasn't positive. It was more like who do you think you are? You think you can write a book. You're like, you're, you're a math guy. You're a real estate guy. Like, why are you writing a book? This isn't, this is totally in like it, literally all the negative self-talk that we all have to deal with whenever we're doing something new, right? Like learning a new sport, starting a new job. We have that doubt, right? That we're not going to be able to do it, that we're not going to be good enough, that we're going to fail. Right. And so that's, that, that wasn't the beginning for me, but I, I, Luckily, again, having a coach and a mentor and a friend, you, you, you got this, Ivan. You got it. You just keep writing, keep writing, keep writing. And that's all I did until it started just flowing. And, and honestly, it's funny. At some point when I was just typing, I literally would feel like I because I was it was every single morning I would meditate and then I would ask God, hey, flow in whatever you want me to talk about mm-hmm. here. I need you to pass it through my head. And sometimes I literally felt like I was going into a dark hole and I was just typing, typing, typing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know where this or any of this is coming from, but it's, it's, it's going on paper. Like I have some of the things in the book, I have no idea. I have no idea where I got it from. It just channeled into my head. So I felt, you know, it was a very spiritual experience. And like I, you know, most of it, I was like, God, whatever you feel like needs to go on this piece of paper, like just channel it in there and I will type it up, you know?
0: Mm, I love that. It's like a spiritual download. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, I was tapping into my higher source in whatever yes, way that was. You're
0: divine. I yeah. love it. Yeah. I love it. And when writing this book, because you, you said it was therapeutic for you, what part, you don't have to give us the whole story because we got to read it. What was the one part to you that was the most cathartic, that was the most therapeutic for you?
1: Ooh, so the most cathartic and therapeutic for me you know, for a long time, I my dad always had two jobs, right? Mm-hmm. And he was never, I felt like he was never home. And I actually blamed him for a long time for me being gay because I felt, well, you were never around. I was only around my sister and my mom. And all I saw was, you know, I played Barbies with my sister and see helped my mom cook. And maybe the reason I was gay was because you were never there. And I carried that with me for a long time. And when I was going back and just literally going back into my thoughts, my dad was everywhere. He was there. He was there when for everything that mattered in my life, for my birthdays, the first time I rode a bike, the first time I drove a car, the first time he taught me how, how to change a tire, for all of my performances, for any sports things that we did as kids, he was always there and it and i and i like i was like oh my god i resented him for not being there but he was there i made this whole mm-hmm. story up in my head and you know I, I i had put up this wall between me and my father and i realized i was like he was an amazing father he worked his ass off because he had to he had to feed two kids so i you know i realized i was like he had nothing to do with me being gay that's just who i am
0: Just the way you are Mexican, you're Latino, you are gay, right? And I think I want to spend some time because I think this is an important conversation for anyone tuning in. But if you were to go back in time to talk to your younger self or if you were to go and talk to a a little kid who's sitting there who has this feeling like I'm gay, but I can't talk about it because I'm Latino and, you know, doesn't look good or I'm part of the church and it doesn't look good what would you go back to say to that kid or to yourself as when you were young? What's like the one piece of advice? What would you tell yourself? Or what would you tell that kid?
1: What I would tell that kid, I mean, I've thought of this so many times, like if I can go Mm -hmm. back and tell myself, you know, I I would always tell tell my little self that like, don't worry, everything is going to get a lot better. Because I think as a kid, when you're going through that pain, of not feeling like you fit in or that you're normal, that pain feels like it's never going to go away, right? And that, that you're going to live with that pain forever, because I felt like I was going to live with that pain for, forever, that it was never going to get better. like, this is it. Like I'm just going to live with this with this horrible, horrible secret for the rest of my life. And you know, if someone were to come to tell me, like, "Hey, there's nothing wrong with you. This is who you are. Like there's nothing wrong with you. you are normal. You know, you're, I didn't feel, I felt like I was broken. And it's like, you're not broken. You're normal. You're just like everyone else. Everything is going to get better. Just, I promise you, everything will get better. And it has.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that. And I want to ask you another question about where you are now. You are writing this book. You are. It sounds like your whole life you've been defeating this inner voice telling you you're not normal. You can't do this. Who are you writing a book? Who do you think you are? Like you're defeating these voices and you're persistent, right? Because you know, it's like, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to do. That's what it sounds like from you telling your story. But you're doing all these things now. What would you give? What would you tell the audience who's who's in a place whether? they're in real estate or not, they're trying something new, they're meeting these goals, they're trying to build their career, maybe they're doing the first, they're, they're the first in their family to do something like this. What was you, what's one piece of advice that you would give everyone that's in this place where you were a couple years ago before you started real estate? What's like one piece of advice that has been your like, you know, your, your motto or your mantra?
1: I think the like the biggest piece of advice that I would give someone is you know people used to tell me like if they wanted to do something new they'd be like well what's the worst thing that could happen right mm-hmm. and I'm like mm-hmm. actually what's the best thing that could happen right like always ask yourself what is the best thing that could happen for me trying this what is the best thing that could happen for me trying this new job or trying Or, you know, doing this, this writing a book or because then we get ourselves out of that negative mental state to a more positive, like, what's the best thing that could happen of me trying something new, right? And then your body's going to see all the positive things and then you're going to get excited, right? So just instead of saying, going into something and saying, well, let me try it. What's the worst thing that could happen? Saying, change that to what's the best thing that could happen? Mm. That inspires you to keep going when things get rough.
0: I love that. I love that. And I can sit here and ask you questions for days and listen to all this wisdom that you have. And I'm just so grateful that you spend this time with me and that I'm so excited for everyone to listen and just no, be inspired this be by great.
1: you. No, no, thank you. This is great. And like, you know, whoever's listening out there, like I hope that something resonated with you of anything that I said to inspire you or if you're in a rough patch, like knowing it always gets better, right? We just have to put some action into it and thinking, okay. I'm in a a bad place right now. What can I do? What action step can I take in order to to get to the next level, right? To get out of this situation and to improve my situation.
0: And I would love to know how people can connect with you, can connect to this book and pre-order, buy it, all those things. How can people connect with you and how can they purchase your amazing book?
1: Absolutely. So you can connect with me on my Instagram. It's at Ivan Estrada Properties. Um, and that's like my real estate, like, um, Instagram, or you can also follow me on the brand with page, which I have two pages. It's at the real brand with, and if you want to buy the book, uh, the book is called brand with purpose comes out November 16th. You could pre-order now on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart, Hudson's, Indie books, book soup. Um, and, uh. And they're going to be sold all over the world. So if you're in Mexico or in in the UK or in Asia, you'll be able to find my book.
0: Mm, Kasi nada. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to do one last thing with you before we hop off. I want to do, you have your coffee with you, water?
1: I do have coffee right here.
0: Aquí lo tenemos. I would love to do a brindis with you with our cafecito. Because we would end. Absolutely. (laughs) I would love to give you the space to manifest something for our Latino community or say what you want to cheers to or both. But what do you want to manifest, Ivan, for nuestra comunidad and what do you want to cheers to?
1: I want to manifest for all of us to see the greatness in ourselves and the potential to leave a legacy to not just people here in the United States, but all over the world that we work hard and that we have passion and that we're loving people and that sky's the limit.
0: Are you a writer or something? Um, <laughs> a little bit. Kind of wrote a book. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Salud, Ivan. Gracias. Salud, Thank you cheers. for being on here. Thank I'm going to drink this tea because it's been sitting here. I've been like hanging on to your every word. I'm just like, wow. Wow. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I want to know more. Thank you that's so awesome. much for Thank being here. Thank you so much for having me. If you haven't already, go purchase Brand With Purpose by Ivan Estrada. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. And special shout out to Ivan for sharing his story with us. See y'all next week for more Cafecito and Chisme. For all Hello Latino updates, check out my IG page at Hello Latino Podcast. You can also follow me on IG personally at OJasmine with four A's. And find me on LinkedIn. Check out my website, OlalisJasmine.com for more information. Con mucho amor, tu amiga Hondureña.